Welcome to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Podcast in Scottsdale, Arizona. We are Christian Disciples in Mission. I can honestly say this. When I came into the church, the music was phenomenal. I just was so moved. I can't tell you what it's done to me. I used to be a liturgist for 20-some years, okay? So good music to me is crucial for liturgy. And then I hear you're a priest, and I'm like, okay, this guy really knows his stuff. <laughs> I'm like, wow. He's... How do you follow that? I mean, I'm like, phenomenal music a great priest. I can just tell that he is so in love with Jesus, the way he speaks. He knows the scripture. I'm like, don't talk too much. You're going to take everything away. And I won't. I'm like, I, I don't have any. And he just, he did a phenomenal job. But I would not be the woman I am today without the wonderful family that I grew up with. My parents have been um, phenomenal. Um, just to give you a little background, I, there's seven in our family, seven kids, five girls, two boys. I have a brother that's a priest, and I'm the nun. <laughs> My sister talked me into being a nun, so just so you kind of get this idea. Because I used to pray, God, help me to be the woman you've called me to be. I did not think this is what he was going to call me to be, right? <laughs> and I tell all my clients today, because I work for Holy Cross Services, I'm the Catholic chaplain for Holy Cross Services, which is for drug-addicted and abused women. And before that, I worked with college students. I taught eighth graders in the beginning, then I taught college students, for 24 years, and then I'm working with, so I think God's prepared me, eighth graders who are pistols, to college students who are pistols, to <laughs> drug-addicted people. So I've got all kinds of background experiences, and I'm learning something new every single day, okay? But in my family, prayer was very important, that we pray together. So just so you get an idea, when we set the table, the rosary went next to the glass of water, so when we were done, we would pray the rosary together, because my dad's saying was, the family that prays together stays together. You've all heard it too, right? And as you grow up, you think your parents don't know everything, but then when you get older, you, they know everything. And I quote my parents more now than I've ever in my entire life. But I am who I am today because, and I'm a writer only because Father Joe Grison encouraged me to write. And I did not want to write, I'm going to be honest with you. Because working with somebody who was as famous as he is and wrote hundreds of books, well, I think he wrote 35, to be honest with you. All of them were New York bestsellers. Okay, his agent happens to call one day and says, what are you doing? I go, oh, I'm just writing a talk, I mean, you know, for the retreat we're doing. He said, what's it about? I go, Peter, Joe, you want to talk to Joe? He goes, no, I, don't. I want to talk to you. I said, why do you want to talk to me? I want to know what you're doing. I'm like, oh. And he goes, what's it about? And I told him with me, and he goes, Dorothy, put it in a book. I go, look, Joe's a writer. I'm not a writer. He goes, well, we'll see about that. I go, no, Peter, don't. Don't do this to me. So he hangs up. He goes, great talking. I'll talk to you. I'll call you back in a couple days. I'm like, that's why I didn't pay any attention to it. Three days later, he calls me. He said, I have a contract with Doubleday. I want a chapter. And this, I, go, I started to cry, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I go, no. I go, Joe, I, just because you're this great writer, they think, Dorothy, you have so much inside of you. I want you to share it with the world. I go, but I don't have to do, write a book. Okay, so I'm going to write this book, and I'm probably three months into the book, and I get a phone call that my mother has two and a half weeks to three weeks, or three months to live, because she had bone cancer. And I just said, okay, that's it. I'm not doing this, right? 
So I'm going home. That's more important. My mother's more important. He goes, well, I'll call up. So he calls up Eric Major, the president of Double Bay, said, can you give Dorothy an extension? He goes, oh, yeah, no problem. I couldn't get out of this. <laughs> so I go home, and, and I said, Mom, you know how I hate to write. She goes, oh, honey, if you touch one person, God wanted you to write this. And I'm like, Mom, you got to help me, because where you're going, you can help me better now than you can here. <laughs> right? So... To be honest with you, after my mother passed away, we had the funeral, I went back, and it was just like the spirit was so alive in my life. I, I couldn't, like, oh my gosh, I'm doing this. Oh my gosh, I'm doing this. And then I get awarded by Doubleday Best First Time Author. Then it becomes number six on the Catholic bestseller. I'm like, okay, mom, you did this, but I haven't touched my one. This is me, right? Because if you touch one, God wanted you to do it. Did God really want me to do this? And so I get a phone call from a girl in Ohio. Anybody from Ohio? Okay. <laughs> she calls me up and she says, are you, are you Sister Dorothy? And she's crying. And I'm like, yes. And she said, I just want you to know. She said, I walked in the store and I saw this rainbow on the book, which is Colors of the Spirit. And I picked it up and I read it. And the last story, thank you so much. You saved me. I'm not having an abortion. And hung up. Oh. And I went, I got my one. And my mother said, no, you got two. <laughs> yeah. So just so you kind of know where I come from, all right? And also, working on a college campus and working with eighth graders, I tried to explain to them my life because, you know, especially college kids, how could, what, what the heck are you doing? Giving up your life? You know, you could, you could get married, you know, sister. You could do this, you know, sister. I said, I know, but I really feel called to this. I feel called. And I used to, and I always tell my clients today, always pray that God will lead you to become the woman that God has called you to be. And he's constantly calling me to do other things. But as women, religious, they say we're married to Jesus, right? We're his bride, the bride of Christ, right? So I tell college students, my husband, <laughs> Jesus, and I work really well together. So if you want prayers for anything, I'll talk to my husband, because he's got more powerful than you do. And they went, oh, come on. I go, no. And especially when I worked with the Jewish and the Muslims on the camp, this campus, you know, the Jewish kids came up, the, the rabbi said, listen, you're working with all our kids. I don't want you converting everybody to Catholicism. I said, don't worry, my husband's Jewish. And he said, what? So I told him that, and he goes, I think we can work together. This is going to be okay. So, and, and some of the Jewish kids, when they'd see me, they said, saw your husband today, he sends his love. I go, great, you know. <laughs> so anyway, just, just so you get my personality, as one little friend over here, when she met me, she says, you're kind of a little snippy girl, aren't you? <laughs> I said, isn't that interesting? That's what Father Joe said to me the first time he met me. Because I was leading the choir, and we were having him as a speaker at the university. Get this, 3,000 students showed up for his talk. What does that say? They were so hungry for God. After reading the book Joshua, the campus was on fire for God. And when I asked him to come, he usually goes to a campus and maybe 50 to 100 come. I go, no, I guarantee that we'll have at least 100 and some. I didn't want to, like, get them too built up or because I was, you know how college kids, they say they're coming and whatever. 
we had 3,000 kids there, and I was directing the music. We were, I had 150 musicians. We we're up there singing all these songs about Jesus. And then I introduced him, and he comes up. He goes, you didn't tell me you did this. I said, you didn't ask. He goes, ooh. You know. So we just we kind of hit it off, and then when he asked me to work with them, I just like, no, I have a contract for two more years. I was uh, working for the American bishops, uh, training campus ministers, how to be good campus ministers. So, and that's a whole other story. But so I, when my two years were up, I figured out two years, he's never going to call me. He'll forget who I was and the whole bit. And two years later, I get a phone call at 10 o'clock at night. Your two years are up. <laughs> I go, what? He goes, come and work with me. I go, I don't think I can go all the way to New York. I got to check with my community. I don't, you know, I only just met you through your books and, you know, met you one time. He goes, do you believe in Jesus? Do you trust in God? Okay, gosh, push, you know. <laughs> so I talked to my community and naturally every one of our nuns had read the Joshua books and Never Alone and some of the books that were, are really, really good. So they go, go with our blessing. And I'm like, really? Now, I only knew him. I didn't know anybody else. So I was really being courageous. And that's why when I say courage, compassion, and confidence, every one of you, and I don't care if you deny it, you are very courageous, you are very compassionate, and you are confident. And that's because my husband has all those qualities, and so does my mother-in-law. <laughs> right on, right? So, okay. You know, the opening song or the song that when I walked in the church was says, what a beautiful name it is, Jesus. It's the most beautiful name for me because Jesus gives me life. And I'm sure I, just by the singing and the sense of community there today was just so beautiful that that's what a real woman does is that she gives life to other people. Not just physical life, but we're all life givers on how we treat one another. But we're going to start with courage. One form of courage is to do things that, like, you know, go parasailing, which I, 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 you know, when I was younger, I lived on dreams and hopes. And now that I know what I have to be afraid of, right? I mean, parasailing was like, yeah, I can do that. And now I'm thinking, would I do parasailing because I could get hurt? And, you know, you think of all the things that could happen to you as you get older, but not then. And so courage is the one thing. And who are the people that had the most courage? Are, I'm just going to give you a few women that stuck out in my mind because I could go on and on about courageous women. But I think this year, after hearing Oprah Winfrey on, you know, the, when she spoke about we have the power, we have to go for, we have to stand up and say who we are and not compromise our values ever. And, and it takes a lot of courage to stay true to the person God has called you to be. But my mom always said, be a woman of integrity. Speak the truth. And my dad said, always be honest because you have to live with yourself and you'll never have to worry about it. You will stand alone many a times. And I have stood alone, especially dealing with clergy and bishops. <laughs> but I'm at peace and I feel good about myself when I'm done, right? I'm not saying it was easy, but it was the truth. And so when you stand up for what you know is the truth, there's a peace that comes that no one can take away from you. And I encourage you, because the one woman to me that was really courageous, um, it's it, what it takes to stand up and speak, but it's also what it takes to sit down and listen. Those are the two things that 
know that you're really a courageous woman. Okay? Now, a woman, I mean, my, my mother-in-law is one of the most courageous women I know of. And for her, she exemplifies to me what a strong woman who she stood, I mean, imagine, okay, you're a teenager, you find out you're pregnant, and you haven't had any relations with God, and you're, up, you're being raised in a culture where women are stoned to death, okay? It's not just like today we say, okay, let's have a home for unwed mothers, and let's, I worked at a home for unwed mothers. So it's like you work with them to try to get, build their confidence up again and all that kind of stuff. They didn't do it then. You were pregnant, out of wedlock, stone. That was it. So to be courageous to say yes to all this, to say yes, not only did she say yes and accept it, she walks 80 to 100 miles to tell her cousin Elizabeth. Now, I was in the Holy Land. I, I took that route in a bus. And it was treacherous, okay? Back up a couple thousand years, and it wasn't as nice as it is today, and still it was rough. It's, if you've ever been, any, who, anybody here been to Holy Land? Okay, if you've taken that route, you kind of know it. Where the, and also the Dead Sea, that area where it's just, it's bare. So as a woman going, and I, she didn't get in her car, she probably had a donkey, hopefully, something like that to get her where she wanted to go. So, and then to ask her son to perform his very first miracle. And he goes, it's not my time. And I thought, well, he's kind of snippy to his mother, right? <laughs> but, but she had the courage to stand up and watch her son suffer, though. And as I was showing that, the life of Jesus, the Son of God, to my, some of my clients, they said, I don't think I could have ever done that. Stand and watch my son be crucified and picked on when all he ever did was good. I mean, right. He, sure, he challenged them to think, but he did, all he did was kind work. He raised the dead. He healed people. I mean, if we found somebody like that today, would we want to crucify them? But we do. We crucify goodness. We crucify people. So she stood to accept life as it was and stand up for what she believed was right. We have to be courage to be who God called us to be without compromising our morals and values. I used to say this all the time when I taught eighth graders. I said, find your passion, live it, but don't compromise your values. And they would all tell you, yes, sister, we heard it. Yep, yep. So fast forward, 20 years later, this kid comes walking into my office. He said, sister, I found my passion, I lived it, I didn't compromise my values, and I lost my job. I go, ooh, but I'm true to me. And I said, because you're true to who you are and you stand up for what is right, God will give you the best job you could ever imagine. Because when he closes the door, you know what? He always, he, he, oh, you're, you're great, you're great. So he did find a job better than the one he had. But it is very difficult when you're in this world, as, as a lot of single mothers, they have to compromise if they want that job in order to take care of their children. So a lot of times we have to compromise some things. And so it's not easy. And especially my heart goes out to single moms because sometimes they have no option. And so they have to like say, well, I don't hate that, but I got to do it. I hate that. But a lot of times they'll say, I'm not compromising what I've been brought up to believe. And I said, good for you. So courage to be who God called you to be without compromising. One, this is what Maya Angelou said, Maya Angelou. One isn't necessarily born with courage, 
but one is born with potential. We all have the potential to be courageous. Without courage, we, not, we cannot practice any other virtue with consistency. We can't be kind, true, merciful, generous, or honest if we don't have courage. It's crucial. Okay, now the next one. Oops, wow. Queen Esther. Now, I love Queen Esther because you have to think way back at that time in history a woman, and especially Queen Esther, I mean, you know that uh, Mordecai was her uncle that took care of her, and, and then, you know, because her, her parents died. And so she then has to, she's picked to be a queen, you know. And so, but she doesn't tell him that she's Jewish, because Mordecai said, do whatever you do, don't tell him you're Jewish, because they don't like the Jews, okay? So she never told them. For years, she serves as the queen. And then when... Hammond wants to get rid of all Jews. He says, to, you know, these people are trying to undermine the government. I can take care of them. And he doesn't tell the king who they are, but he orders for all the Jews to be slaughtered. Well, when she, Mordecai finds that out, he sends a message to her, tells her she didn't know about it. When she finds that out, she was like, I got to do something because that means all my people are, and that would mean me. So she goes before the king. Also, you know that a woman, and especially a queen, but at that time, women never go before the king unless requested. If you go before the king and he requests your presence, you could be killed. But she said, if I perish, I perish. I'm doing this. That's courage. Because she stood up against all that was going on in that time in, in history. So she goes before the king, and she's so beautiful, the woman that plays. She, I just love her. So she goes before the king, and she tells him, how can they do this? How can they do this? And then Hammond doesn't know that she's Jewish, right? But Hammond kisses up, you know, like, oh, all this stuff. You can see this playing. So anyways, when she makes a statement that tells the king that she's Jewish, he is like, I didn't know. I didn't know. But then Hammond, oh, and then he gets down on his knees and begs for mercy, right? And she just kind of looks down at him like, and he had built a gallow to hang Mordecai, her uncle. So he has this galley out there to be hung for him. And what happens is that he gets hung on that. Because when the king found out that Hammond was the one behind all this, wanted to kill the Jews, etc., he hung him instead. So what goes around comes around, right? <laughs> Be careful what you wish on another person, really. Because if you uh, want bad things to happen to somebody else, and sometimes you kind of do when you deal with the women I'm dealing with, you know. I mean, you kind of want to, like, punch some of these guys in the... You know, it's really hard because I have to practice self-discipline. I'm, I'm sitting there listening to some of their stories, and I'm like could you put up with this? Or, you know, why did you put up with this? You know what I mean? And, but, you know, you just have to forgive them and help them to believe in themselves and give them the confidence to do what they need to do. Now, my next St. Catherine of Siena is a Dominican, being a Dominican myself. Um, she was named Doctor of the Church. Now, imagine, in that time in history, for a woman to be named Doctor of the Church, that says a lot, right? But, one little girl came to me, she was in the eighth grade, and she said, Sister Dorothy, I want to be a Dominican sister. 
And I'm like, oh, you do? And I said, well, great. Now, she lived in Grand Rapids. I said, why don't you come over and meet our Prioress? And then you can t ask her any question you want, and because she would come and talk to me. And so I think she wants to be a Dominican because she was studying St. Cat, or because of me and because of the people she met, right? So she gets there, and the prior sister, well, now, why would you like to become a Dominican? Because she says, I just think that women, this, this. So she thinks she's going to tell because of what St. Catherine of Siena did. Because St. Catherine of Siena, she was upset with the bishop, or the Pope in Rome, because what happened is that he got tired of doing the, the work in Rome, so he goes off to France and lives in this high-class palace, living life to the fullest, right? And she goes over and says, get back to Rome and take care of that. These guys are corrupting Rome over there. Get back there. So she had the stamina to stand up for what she believed was right, right? That took courage. Trust me. So when this little girl says, well, why did she... She said to her, why did you want to become a Dominican? Why would you want? She goes, because I love St. Catherine. She stood up to the Pope and told him. And I go, she's going to make a great Dominican right here. <laughs> and she says, oh, I didn't quite expect you to say that. you know." And she says, oh, yes, I read all about her life. And I like her spunk and her determination. And she's not going to let people push her around. And I'm like, oh, she's going to be a great Dominican. But um, uh, her, dad, her dad didn't want her to become a nun. And she had long, beautiful blonde hair. So she was so mad at her dad, she cuts her hair off. Cuts her. And so he's like, ooh, what am I going to do with this girl? And then she says, Dad, Jesus would make you a great son-in-law. <laughs> so he consented. Just like I said to my dad, Dad, now can you find any problems with this guy? <laughs> I got the best, Dad. He goes, okay, okay, I got you. Because I was kind of a little to be honest, I was not always the perfect little girl. That's why my brother said, God called you. Wow. <laughs> I go, well, he called you. He goes, yeah, but he's, my brother is kind of like the opposite of me. He's very gentle spoken and very soft and very traditional. And I'm just kind of like, ooh, you know. So he says, someday I may become more like you and be more outgoing. But Dorothy, this is how I am. And I go, God called you the way. As long as you be who you are, I be who I am. So. So if you met my brother, you would go, you're really Dorothy's brother? <laughs> and people say to him, Sister Dorothy's your sister? <laughs> but anyway, so she was very blunt and uncom uncompromising. But you know what? She died at the age of 33. Is that something? Okay, then the next one. This is her favorite saying, and that's what I say always. Be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. And that's our Dominican spirit. Just be who you are, and you will set the world on fire. Now, Harriet Tubman, I just love her, because she was born a slave in Maryland, as you know, and her desire was to be free. So she made her escape through the Underground Railroad, and she used that one route 19 times, and she saved over 300 slaves to freedom. She was known as the Moses during that time. She died at 93. So she did a lot of work before she passed. Okay, then... Clara um, Barton, she was the founder of the American Red Cross, as you all know, and she worked with a lot of wounded soldiers, and she also helped um, Abraham Lincoln finding missing, missing persons. And in 1960, at the Olympics game in Rome, she was the first woman to win three gold medals in track and field. She passed on her skill and was a track uh, di director and speech consultant for minority affairs, and she died at 91 so these women lived good lives and solid lives. 
Elizabeth Blackwell, she was the first woman in the United States to become a physician way back then. She was refused at first to be a, a physician because she was a woman, right? But she went to the Geneva Medical College in New York. She raised funds to open a hospital for needy women and children. She trained nurses for the Army during Civil War and then opened a medical school for women only. She has written many medical books, and she died at 89. So we got our... I've got my life cut out for me. I got these women that are telling me, keep going, girl. <laughs> Wilma, I don't know how many of you know her, but she was one of 22 children. And she was stricken with polio when she was very young. And she believed that she would be able to walk again. Her mother kept giving her that confidence. At the age of nine, her braces were removed. And she started running and playing sports and basketball, track. She was an excellent athlete. In 1960, at the Olympic Games in Rome, she was the first woman to win three gold medals in track and field. She became a track director and special consultant on minority affairs at DePaul University. She raised women's track to the foremost, and she died at 54. But being, uh, I've had some girls that were born um, was one of my friends, uh, one of our nuns, had leukemia. And she, um, her mother said something about, well, maybe we should go over to, you know, you know, they always say Padre Pio and some of these other people to go to. Well, there's one in Detroit, um, and he's known it for a saint that's healed a lot of people. His name just slips me right at this moment. Yes, Solanus. So she went over to Solanus, and she said, my daughter just entered the convent, and she's got leukemia. She wants to serve God. Can you help us? Can you cure her? you got to cure her. And he was like, sure, she'll be fine. She goes, what? She goes, she'll be fine. Don't worry about it. She goes back. Her daughter goes to the doctor. She lived 33 years later serving in our community. So miracles are still being happening today, okay? So never give up on your prayer life. Ask and it will be given to you. You have to have faith. This is what I tell the college students all the time, and I tell my women. It's faith that saved you. How many times did he, Jesus say that to us? It's our faith. And if we don't believe it'll happen, it, it probably won't happen. Now, in Michigan, anybody who knows Michigan University, they were playing against Loyola, which is a Catholic, okay? And the Catholic, Loyola had this nun, right? This 89-year-old nun. And so she was there like a little power of prayer, right? So all my friends, because I worked at Michigan for eight years, right? They text me, you have to be our nun. You have to be our nun. <laughs> and I said, I can't, because I'm, I of my job. I can't go to that game because I had a commitment. I had a book signing. And I said, you guys, I can't be there. But I'm sending my husband. He does better work. <laughs> so when they won the first game, right? They went like, Glad you sent your husband. They didn't care if I didn't come. So they didn't ask me about the second game. Well, I told them. They said, well, we lost. I go, did you ask me to ask my husband? No, you didn't ask me to ask my husband. So they went like, oh, why? We, we forgot. I'm like, you forget him then. And, and, and three years ago, there was another game. I was working at Michigan State because I was transferred to Michigan State, and I worked at Michigan. So they, these two are big competitors, if you know how. So I'm over at my sister's house who lives in Grand Rapids, and we were playing against them, and two of her friends were from Michigan, 
and my sister and I, and I was working at the time at Michigan State, and she, and at that time, the game was like, there were probably about four minutes left of the game, and they were ahead. And they kept going, sorry, Dorothy, sorry. And I go, the game's not over till it's over. They go, there is no way. And I go, I'm going to get to my husband about this one. She goes, well, good luck. Your good husband's going to have to really work hard on this one, honey. You've got four minutes left. I go, don't underestimate the power of my husband. And she goes, sorry. So then, psh, bang, what? They won? I go, sorry. <laughs> my husband still does good work. Okay, enough of my... Okay, Hildegard of Bingham. She is a German, the founders of the Benedictine religious community. And the Benedictines, um, she was an author, a theologian, a prophet, a preacher, a musician, a composer, um, author, doctor, pharmacist. This woman did... I mean, I'll tell you, she just didn't stop. She just kept pursuing everything that she could. And I, I really loved her life because for me, if someone says, do you want to try this? I'm like, I've never done it before. You can do it. Then I do it. I've never done this before, but I'll try. And I've always said that my whole life. I've never done it, but I'll try. And then God gives you, I always, this is my favorite line. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And it's true. Every, I call on him every time and I've done things I never would have dreamed of doing in my life. But it's only through God that you can do all the things that... And she died at 81. So then we have Teresa of Avila. Teresa of Avila was quite a character when she entered religious life. She danced on the table and she wore wild clothes and stuff in the beginning. She was kind of a... I kind of liked her in the beginning because I was feeling like when I entered the convent, my guardian angel said to me, my brother didn't want, my one, my oldest brother didn't want me to enter. He was very upset because we used to double date and all that kind of stuff. And he goes, Dorothy. So he goes, where do you want me to put your um, six pack? <laughs> I never drank. And, this, and the woman that was supposed to greet me, she says, the nun says, I don't think you're going to last very long. <laughs> and I said, oh no, I'm going to get kicked out before I even get in here, right? And then, I, and then she said, oh, you're just a little too happy, honey. I go, you just think you're going to come in and get the world on fire? I go, I hope so. And she goes, three weeks later, she left. I go, you guys, my guardian angel left on me. I don't know what I'm going to do. Don't worry, you can handle it without her. You know. And here I am 50-some years later, still a nun. So God can give you the strength for anything you want to do. Okay, Teresa of Avila, she, she was a mystic, a religious reformer, the founders of 17 convents the author of four books and one of the most outstanding masters of Christian prayer and a charismatic personality. She took a stand as a woman that was considered uh, against the church with, at that time, hatred towards women. And she just stood up and defended women. That's why I like this woman. Everything I read about her, she's like, you go, girl. But she died at 67, okay? Now, when have you shown your courage? Think about a time in your life where you have done something very courageous and you look back and you go, man, I can't believe I did that. Think about it. I don't know if you know, but Father Joe Grison, his mother was told to have an abortion before she had him because she had romantic fever, okay? And the doctor told her, 
that this baby would never live or she may not live because of her, her health. And being Catholic as they are, her, her husband said, we're not going to you anymore. We're going to go to a Catholic doctor. So they went to a Catholic doctor, and the Catholic doctor told them the same thing. I'm sorry, but you will not live through this, nor your child. If you abort it, it'll be better off. And she said, I will not abort my child. And look who he is. And she had 12 children. Joe is the oldest of 12. And then at the, after the last child, she's there in the hospital, okay? They think she's going to die. And the nurse came out, and, and they were praying the rosary, right? So his dad says, keep praying the rosary. She comes out, and she says, Mr. Grison, keep praying the rosary. And she says, your wife has died. He goes, we're not, her job's not done yet. Keep praying the rosary. And she said, I don't think you heard me. Your wife just died. Keep praying the rosary. He didn't pay attention to her. So the nurse goes like this. She goes back into the room, and she screams, ah! And he was like, she pulls the sheet down and she says, okay, when can I go home? <laughs> That's a true story. And Father Joe told me, I said, oh, come on. All his brothers and sisters told me. They said, yeah. So, but we had to keep praying the rosary. My dad kept saying, praying the rosary. But I said, but what was it? They said, we had faith that if we kept praying, mom would live. And we didn't want to lose our mom. And that was after the last child. So the power of prayer. Okay. Um, Compassion. It means to suffer with, to look beyond ourselves toward others. Care is believing, crying out with, suffering with, feeling with. Care is compassion. Um, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. Okay, but before I get to the man of the Pentagon about compassion, I want to tell you this story. A friend of mine, um, when I was working with Father Joe, we went over to China, and because, how much time do I have? Ten minutes? Oh, my gosh. i got to tell this story. Oh, I told too many other things. Okay. Um, let me know five minutes before, okay? Anyways, this is a powerful story. Xenon, I met her when I went over to China. And so we spent like three or four days there and exchanged program with college students. And when I was ready to leave, we just hit it off. And I'm thinking, here I am. I'm hitting it off with this communist official. She was a top communist official. So anyways, I leave, and as I'm going out the door, she says, Do you th I had to go over as an author, because as authors, not as a nun or a priest, okay? Because we wouldn't have been able to talk to all the top communist officials about all the different three universities we visited. So as she was leaving, as I was leaving, she says, do you think I'll ever see you again? And I said, nothing is impossible with God. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. So I said, oh, well, I'm going on my way out anyway. So then we wanted, every year they have the National Prayer Breakfast, and we wanted her to come because we thought it would be good relationships with our government and everything. So we invited her to come over. She stays with me. That morning, the next morning she wokes up, she says, Dorothy, I dreamt about God. I go, you did? She says, yeah, God is all love. I said, got that right. And then she started asking me questions. Well, at the prayer breakfast, everybody prays to Jesus, and they praise to God, right? And she, so she says, can you tell me about this God? You know, can you tell me about my Jesus? So I would share everything, you know. Then she goes back, and she said, what can I take back to my children? Now, she was in charge of 300,000 students in the city of Guilin, were under her jurisdiction. I said, Xenon, teach them to love and teach them to forgive, because if you can teach them that, you've got half your problems. To make a long story short, she goes back, changed the curriculum, that's what they taught, in that one year, 
There was not one act of violence, crime, drugs, nothing. Never heard of in the history of China. So the top communist officials gave her this prestigious award. But many people were very suspicious of her because of that, right? Well, what did she do? Ever since she's come back from the United States, things have been different. Instead of being excited that they never had any crime or violence, right? And so they, they were watching her. And so then one kid brought up the Tenement Square, and they reported to Zena, and she said, well, he's speaking the truth. I can't punish a child for speaking the truth. About four or five other incidents happened, but the last incident that happened was three girls were caught going to church. And they go, Xenon, these three girls were caught going to church. And she said, how do I punish a child for what they believe? They believe in God. And she said, and? They looked at her and they said, well, do you believe in God? And she said, Dorothy, I couldn't say no. So I said, yes. I looked him straight in the eye. They fired her immediately from her position, put her under house arrest for six months. She couldn't read anything but Mao Tung's literature. After six months left, she, was, she went to see her son, who was in Canada. Her son from Canada looked us up. It was only Joe Grazone and Dorothy, right? It wasn't her father or sister. He finds us, says, can you help my mom? They're going to execute her because she believes in God. And so she, we get her a train ticket. She comes to New York, and we go to Washington. We contacted the guy that has to do with, you know, getting a um, visa, and um, he said, no, she has to be in her own country. Joe said, she can't do that. So we go to Dave Lux, and we go to Mark Solander, and finally Joe goes, I'm going to the president. So it was President Clinton at the time. We go to him, and he goes, I'll, you know, we'll work on the, the government. He, he knew people in the Canadian government, so they got her a visa. Well, she was to get her a visa on September 13th. You know what happened on September 11th. So she didn't get her visa, but she, we supported her. The Joshua Foundation supported her for nine years. She did phenomenal work. She translated the Joshua books in Chinese. They sold over in China. They think Joshua is young Confucius. That's what they told me. <laughs> and I go, well, you know, I didn't want to say, no, it's Jesus. You know. And so I said, oh, that's a good observation when I'm over there. Oh, this Joshua, he good book, good, good book. It's a young it's a young Confucius. I said, mm, whatever. So they're selling like millions, and all of a sudden someone discovers that it's about Jesus, and they cut the publication. You'd think they'd be happy they're making money, but whatever. So that's, um, anyway, so to make a long, long story short, I'm her godmother, and Joe's her godfather, because she kept asking questions, and when she was over here in the States, she became Catholic. And she said, I, oh, no, at first, I, can, I don't think I can become Catholic because I have not forgiven somebody from my heart. I go, Zenon, it takes time. No, I can't. There's somebody I have not forgiven. I said, what could be so bad you could not forgive? She says, well, when the Japanese came over, her parents were part of the imperial government. When they came over, she said, I saw my father killed, my mother who was pregnant with child killed, and my brother killed. And they took me and kidnapped me and held me and was raising me to be a communist. And she said... If I can forgive them, can I be a Catholic? And I said, Joe said, it's a process. So then she oh, didn't know if she was ready. And then at one of the retreats she came to, she raised her hand and she said, I am now a real Catholic because I have forgiven them from my heart. She told her story and there wasn't a dry eye in the place. Okay? So, okay, now, compassion. Got five minutes. <laughs> the man at the Pentagon, at the prayer breakfast, I'm sitting next to him. And somebody said, 
why do you go see your wife all the time? You know, she doesn't even know who you are. She was suffering from Alzheimer's. He said, she may not know who I am, but I know who she is, and that makes all the difference. And I, I love that man. Then uh, Richard Sinner, this guy, I came to give a talk in North Dakota. I go there, and I said to him, they said, oh, sister, we want you to meet Father. And I'm like, okay. So they go over, and they said, this is Father Richard Sinner. And I go, did you say Sinner? <laughs> and he said, yes. I said, great name for a priest, you know. <laughs> And he laughed. He goes, no, it is. I said, really? And I thought, you know, I'm not going to fall for this, right? He said, sister, if you think that's bad, my mother's maiden name was Wild, and the headlines was Wild Sinner Marys. <laughs> and I said, no, that's not true. I went home, and I looked it up on the Internet, and it's true. Her, last, her maiden name was Wild, and his last name is Sinner. His brother is the governor, and he went and he saved so many people, and he took to over 2,000 people out of detention homes. So, okay, I, and we, I don't even, I'll skip that. Con <laughs> confidence, kindness, our words create confidence, it creates profoundness, and it creates love. Let's allow Jesus into our lives and leave behind our selfishness, indifference, and closed attitudes to others. I want to thank you for being such a wonderful audience. It's been a pleasure for me to be here with you, and I'm sorry I had to speed through. I'm usually an hour, and so for me to 45 minutes, it just seemed to go so fast, but thank you again. And if you have, uh, just so you know, all my books are on Amazon, and I have a website. I got turned off. Okay. And I have a website also. Um, it's just Dort, D-O-R-T-E-D-E-R dot -E -E com. And um, there's a new book coming out next week. It's, uh, it's called Reach for the Stars. It's a children's prayer book. And, um, and there's a place at the end for they can write their own prayer. So um, I'm excited about that one too. So thank you for being such a great audience. Thank you for listening to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Podcast. We are Christian Disciples in Mission, 